welcome to episode one of Simcast. We're talking technology through a Zimbabwean lens and our guest today is Shana Tiger. And if like me you already follow her on Medium or Twitter, then you know she's a cool hang to follow. And we get into Snapchat and Facebook and AI and Westworld and also the beautiful landscapes of Namibia, which is not Nambia, it's the language that my dad spoke and is common to the people of Wange and Dete um, and is not a country. We know that, she knows that, some people in America do not know this. It's irrelevant. We hope you're into this conversation. We had fun chatting stuff with her. Um, so hi, it's it's really cool that you're here. Welcome to the show. Hey girl. <laughs> so what's really um funny about about uh, you know us kind of finally connecting is I think I can't think I can't remember when we first sort of connected on Twitter, but certainly over the course of, of the last year with all of the conversations around um, this flag and mm. no to bond notes mm. and shut down Zimbabwe. Um, you know, I've, yeah, yours was a voice that, that, that stands out in, in my timeline. Um, and I thought it would be cool to talk to you because your interests are so broad. So there's the political stuff. But I think there's also the. So I'm just gonna. Is it so? Is it fair to say? You know, do you call yourself a designer or? Because I don't really know what you do. I mean, I I know that that you have that aspect to what you do, but I I don't know if that's a core part of your identity or what have. But uh, I'm a physio, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. So I design for fun. Mm-hmm. interested in design it's it's it, it's something i want to go into so i am a zimbabwean who is um and that's why i talk a lot about them mm. very passionate about my country and if i had a choice i'd be back home but i'm not so where did you um, grow up i grew up in Bulawayo. okay um did move around a, a bit. I mm-hmm. um, so I I'm I was in Bulawayo for um, oh and I lived in Gwanda as well. But I was in Bulawayo for most of my childhood, and I moved to Harare when I went to university, and I worked there for a while. I'm a physiotherapist. Okay. Um, and then I moved back to Bulawayo because it's the city of my heart. Um, and then I left Bulawayo in 2004 to go to Botswana. And I was there for two years. And then I got really homesick and I moved back home in 2006. And... Uh, if you remember, that's when things were really, you know, <laughs> starting to go wrong. In yeah, Zim. yeah. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I thought I was 
being a, a super patriot and all that. So I stuck around and lived through 2007 and 8 in Zim, survived that. Um, saw things getting better, decided to stay in Zim for a while. Um, and then I was, I was uh, not comfortable in Zim, but uh, prepare for two years. Yeah. Mm. So Namibia is. N- I've been to Botswana a few times. I have, yeah. I have family there, um, right. and have a friend in Namibia, but have never made it as far out. It looks like a beautiful it, country. It's so beautiful and amazing, and it's such a lovely country. And I, I always contrast. Um, my experience in Bots and my experience here in Namibia, and Namibia is so, um, it's its not, how do I put it, it's not at all like Zim, but the people are as friendly and open and welcoming as Namibians are, um, which was not my experience in Bots, but that's a whole another story. So, mm. yeah, it's really a lovely country, It's it's great people, and so much to see and do and yeah it's, it's a lovely place to be it's a place that that i think you you could sort of if you didn't if you like if i couldn't go back to zim i could probably settle here it's, mm. it's yeah it feels like home in many ways so it's just thinking of of some of your photography that i've seen mm. um and this may be you know down to um, the things that you like to photograph, which I guess we should talk about. But Namibia looks like quite a, an empty, quite a starkly beautiful country. Is is that because it's like that where you are, or is, is that more to do with that's what you like to capture? Uh, probably both, actually. <laughs> um, but it is, it's a, it's a huge country. It's um, I don't know how many times bigger than Zim, and the population is only 2 million. So um, they say the population is mostly sort of gathered or bunched up in the north, um, but the northern towns are very small and very scattered, and maybe people are sort of in the rural areas. So when you when you sort of drive around, you, you'll come across settlements here and there, but it's mostly empty. Um, and then the south, which I don't know so well, is where all the sort of cities are, if you can, like the big towns, the developed towns are mostly in the south, but there are fewer people there. So it's, it is really quite a, an empty country, um, in a good way. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's um, also probably because it's so dry, so everything looks, you know, there's not lots of trees or anything, you know, so it's, when you look out, you see all the way to the horizon, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it is also, I like um, taking pictures of landscapes, and I really like, like, wide open spaces. I, I like the way they, they look in the picture. of this the other time, actually, I... When I was 16, I, I asked for a camera for my birthday. But I don't remember, like, really being super interested in photography itself. Um, 
but I do like sort of, um, I, I think I, I'm a very visual person and um, I, I like to look at beautiful things. So when I see something which I find striking or beautiful, I really, I want to take a picture of it and sort of capture that beauty. So I think that's probably why. I like photography, so it's 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 not it's um, I haven't put like effort into it. I haven't done courses or anything. Uh, I don't have a fancy camera. Um, I mostly use my phone and my little print and shoot Sony camera, the little cheap one. Um, so yeah, for me it's not it's not um, it's not like uh, anything I'll do professionally. But I, I really does, does your work live online anywhere? Um, so I am mostly on Instagram. Um, but I, I auto post to my blog. So it's probably like a stack of pictures on my blog, which I almost never go to to check. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's mostly Instagram. That's that's. Yeah, initially Instagram for me was uh, somewhere I just, you know, I just used to uh, like take random pictures and put them up, but I've sort of become a bit more focused about what I post, so it's more, I've deleted quite a lot of the old pictures, and it's now more sort of my experiences when I travel and like beautiful things that I see. So it's a bit more, it's not completely that, but I'm trying to make it more um, focused. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, Instagram is, Instagram is, is one of those, those platforms that I, I spend very little time and I might, I might check on Instagram maybe seriously about four or five times a year. <laughs> Um, I got out of the habit of of being visual, and, and there was a, I think when I first signed up for Instagram, I was gramming, but I was also this is a great app called Mixel at the time, um, which was like a, a social um, platform, but built around uh, just remixing and, and collaging images. Um, and it was really, it was highly addictive. I mean, there was something about, um, which I don't know whether Instagram ever did this to me, but with Mixel, you'd, you know, put stuff up and um, and so the the response to, to, you know, what you created was pretty much automatic. And it's one of the first platforms, I think, where, I had what I would consider an audience. So I, I had, you know, more than 30, you know, followers uh. that kind of quickly joined, quickly signed up to follow my account. And um, and so I, I, whereas Instagram, I've, I've never used it in that way. And I've, I've never really spent enough or significant time there or created content enough to kind of get it working for me uh, and maybe also because you know for a while it, it kind of was the dominant photo app 
but I saw something yesterday. Um, somebody was talking about how Instagram is is Instagram is dead, is what they were saying, uh-huh. which is the first time I've kind of ha- had that kind of signal about it because it's really solidly built into people's understanding of social media and whatever Snapchat is doing, it feels like Snapchat is is different than Instagram, but maybe Snapchat is kind of eating into, you know, what Instagram yeah. does. I don't know. What do you so think? I, I think there are different ways to use Instagram uh, because actually what put me off Instagram initially was the social media aspect. I was like, okay, why would I be posting my pictures for people to like? And, you know, it just, yeah. Because for me, it's about sharing my pictures. It's not about, uh, let's do social media, you know. Um, So it's only later on when, because I follow some really cool people on Instagram. And um, it's, it's, so for me, it's um, because I like to travel in my mind. And I love to see pictures of other places. Again, beautiful pictures of landscapes and stuff. So the people I follow on Instagram post that kind of stuff. And that's the main reason why I feel like Instagram is such a good place to post my pictures. Um, So Snapchat um, is actually, um, I hate Snapchat. (laughs) Me Uh, too. (laughs) Why? concept of snapchat which i'm just like i must be old um but it's it's so terrible on android it it has been terrible from the start and uh when they brought it to to android they didn't make enough effort to make it because android is very different the way it works is different and they just didn't seem to get that and the experience is just horrible it's just terrible to use on I find it um, really has a, it has an awful UI. I mean, it it maybe it it's really changed. Does. It's oh, terrible. you think so too? Yeah, I just I can't. But I didn't realize that that it 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 also was was quite a horrible experience um, on Android, which is no, it, really sloppy of them. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's they didn't put any effort into it. I feel, um, but it's it's. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to use, but, I mean, there's a time I got into it because, you know, then it's cool to see what your friends are doing throughout the day and stuff. Um, But, yeah, it's just, it's not my thing. Um, But I think with Instagram as well, I think the reason that people may be saying it's dead is this whole Facebook thing and what people think of Facebook and Facebook buying Instagram and so on. So that might be part of it. I, I don't actually think it's dead. I don't think it will die for a while. It may shrink, but um, I think the way people use it might change. So, you know, you also get on Instagram, like, people posting memes or, like, um, accounts where people are posting only selfies and that sort of thing. So I imagine those people will leave, you know, because... If there's no audience, then. Mm. Um, but for, for everyone else who's posting sort of um, 
Snapchat. And what I thought they did really well, because one of the things with Snapchat is discovering new people is terrible. It's just, it's so hard to find new people to follow and... It's the whole experience of adding friends and it's just complicated. Um, so on on Instagram, you know, I, I've been on Instagram for a really long time. So I, I have followed like lots of people and uh, most of the time when I went on Instagram, I'd see just, you know, I'd scroll down for a few minutes and see, you know, just a few people and then leave the, the, leave the app. Mm. Um, but now, because you've got this, this line of stories at the top, um, so people, all your other random friends in different time zones, you know, you can find their stuff along the top. And so now I get a very different sort of experience. I get to follow people I hardly ever see at other times, you know, which is really nice. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a good move on their part, I think. Yeah, I like that idea because one of the things that, that I used to experience on, you know, on Notted so much and so just this, this sense that, you know, if you're not up at the same time as as USA Twitter, um, you can just miss a lot if you're in a different time zone. Um, and I, you know, just thinking back to I used to be part of I used to be a subscriber on app.net and app.net was not just about launched it um were very much in opposition to to advertising as part of of a social network so the sub- subscription model um meant that there would never be advertising on the platform and you know one of their values was you know we will always prioritize um, the user over over anything else so the user experience and how the user uses the product you know that's what's driving all of of you know the innovation and and change and and you know iterative features that they brought onto the platform and you know for the first sort of year and year certainly it was it was just a cool fun place to be it was kind of like being at a, a you know at a a garden party cocktail party that never ended um there was something about you know people paying to be to be part of a, a service um that really made them feel quite invested in its success. So, you know, that aspect of, of a new user logging onto the service. I mean, my experience was I logged on, you know, and said, hi, everyone. And, you know, in within seconds, there were a few people saying, hey, how are you doing? And, but also going through all of that social integration stuff where people really walked me through how, um, you know, how the app worked and, but all the same time kind of, you know, surfacing who I was and what I was about and, and saying, oh, you should really, you know, you should follow so-and-so and kind of introducing, 
like I said, it's kind of like it was like being at, at a party and, and somebody saying, oh, I need to introduce you to Shona Tiger because you're both in Namibia. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing, which meant that in little to no time, um, you know, you were part of a friend circle. And, you know, three weeks into my time on AppNet, you know, I, with a couple of other users, had launched... Um, a community event on that platform and but I was still relatively new but that really all of that newness I got over that that kind of social awkwardness I got over that really really quickly because all of the users were so great at you know app.net ADN is what we used to call it you know it it really thrives on on um, making people feel welcome and also just making it easy for us to kind of find each other. And that's a problem that obviously Twitter has is still yeah, trying so to address in many ways. I can imagine you going on Twitter and saying, hi, everyone. You know, and you're a first time to the person. Everyone's ignoring you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so this if Instagram is doing that now, particularly the whole, you know, finding content that people in different time zones are sharing yeah. that's a huge win um, that's really because I would say ADN one of although it was countered by the fact that I quite quickly found people in the same time zone as me um, uh -huh. but you know a huge demographic of of the user base of, of ADN was US based so a lot of stuff happened while I was asleep <laughs> it just so happened that uh, you know there was quite a, a quite a vocal um, British user base and and European as well and that made a huge difference because it meant that when I logged on at let's say eight o'clock in the morning there were people there who were doing stuff and it wasn't like they were trying, they were just up at, at night, you know, people were living their lives the same rhythm as me. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. Because if, I mean, if I go on Twitter during the night, um, it's completely different, you know, because it's all my US followers and um, some, even like the Australians, you know, <laughs> I mean, half the time I don't get to interact with them except know in twitter for example uh, what is it called what what you missed or what you whatever it's called um so i i miss most of their tweets um but yeah the whole so it makes me think a little bit about how uh, twitter has the power if i can put it that way um to help you know that concept that social media helps us understand each other better? Yeah. Um, and then people have been saying, kind of echo chamber, you know, and you're just hanging out with the same people all the time and listening to the same ideas. Um, so I think that time zone thing really makes it worse, you know, because half the time, like, um, so, okay, just to take a, a sidetrack a little bit. Um, I got a message last week from a new follower, uh, a guy in the States, uh, because I was going on and on about the US election, and 
<laughs> so this guy was curious to know what my connection to the US was. What did he and ask you? <laughs> so he says, no, you know, so you're tweeting really interesting things about the US election and um, uh, basically I think he was saying like views that people around him haven't really been bringing up and just interesting ideas because I, I retweeted a lot of people I know it was all anti-Donald Trump and so on but um, I had so many ideas and thoughts and opinions about the election so I, I tweeted a lot um, about that election so this guy was he really wanted to know if I was I think he wanted to know if I'm based in America or lived in America before or what my connection to the US was um, so I said, no, actually, I'm just, you know, a nosy Zimbabwean and I have no real connection to, to the U.S. But, I mean, that election had us all gripped. It was the best reality show, you know, <laughs> and so on. So, I know, I know, people's lives and so on. So I did, I did sort of apologize and I was like, you know, I'm just, we're so interested and the U.S. has such an influence on, on the whole world. Um, uh, he took it so graciously. Um, but I did say things about my, you know, my thoughts about the U.S. and foreign policy and stuff like that. But it was, you know, the whole thing, the whole interaction was so nice because it's it's actually one of the best things about Twitter. Because, I mean, this is a stranger. He's in a completely different country. I wouldn't have come across him otherwise, you know. But it just happens that... Um, the reason he followed me is because I listened to a podcast that he also listens to, and um, I tweeted at the podcast account, and they retweeted me, and then he followed me. Ah, cool. Um, what podcast was it? Uh, relevant uh, Christian Culture Something Podcast. Mm -hmm. So I've actually made friends, friends, online friends through. Uh, cheating at relevant because they have a very sort of engaged um, listenership um, and yeah that subculture Christians who are uh, interested in pop culture um, not very sort of conventional or traditional um, so you sort of gravitate towards people like that and that's why I've made friends you know, with people through that um, so he's yeah, this is what he was saying, that um, the whole U.S. election thing, and he wants to hear my ideas about the election and uh, what I think about uh, America in general. And then he also said that um, he would like to set up a charity. Uh, I hope I'm not saying too much. Um, <laughs> um, uh and, you know, he has these ideas about the way charity has been done before in um, Africa by Americans. And what did I think of that? So, you know, I told him what I thought of all that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was just, so my point is just that it's nice to share ideas. And these are um, people I would like to talk to more. Um, but half the time, because of this time zone thing, you don't really get to it. I think that's how it works. Mm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this the you're so right. The 
this filter bubble thing is so real. Um, I mean, it's something that I've always been aware of. So I I think I joined Twitter in 2011, I think. And 2011-2012 was sort of like my first peak Twitter um, experience because we had MPs, expenses, scandal that blew up um, and Twist was just such a great way to just to get updated on you know the latest MPs who had been exposed and you know what they they'd spent taxpayers money on I mean I you know as I've I've you know the more time the longer that I guess I've I've, I've been on social media not just Twitter but other spaces as well the further away I've, I've moved away from um, traditional old school media so I was somebody who I used to buy a newspaper every day um, I certainly I can't remember the last time I bought a paper really it's been years um, but I even still I'm, I'm somebody who i all of those newspapers that I used to read, they're all online, but I, I won't subscribe or or read any of them because I'll read articles that are shared from them, but, you know, uh, my interests are quite fragmented. You know, I don't actually want the entire newspaper. I just want to read what I, I read. So I'm way too old to be a millennium, but I have... I have to be a millennial rather, but I have, you know, really acute millennial tendencies and, um, you know, accessing content, it, you know, in that way, that's just such a natural for me. Um, so, you know, just thinking back to some of the, some of the, I guess, what was, yeah, I guess it was in the zeitgeist at the time, but, you know, I remember people a few years ago were talking about, well, you know, your social media is is really an extension of, you know, of your own kind of, of your own friend circle and, you know, one of its, one of its inherent failings is, is, is just the behaviour of the echo, cha- echo chamber that, you know, you quite un you know, unthinkingly sign up to, um, and yeah, and I, and I, you know, and I agree, it's, it's really easy to actually just, just surround yourself with only people who think like you, um, I do think it's, I think it's easier on Twitter to be exposed to difference than it is on Facebook, yeah, and, and really, it's, you know, it's, although Twitter has, has done a lot more with algorithmic feeds in the last year or so, um, you know, there, there are still a number of people who I know think quite differently to me that I follow. And every now and then, you know, they'll tweet something that just kind of, you know, sets me on edge. And I just remember, yeah, I'm following you specifically for this because, 
I want to see what people like you think and how you express it. Um, Donald Trump, for all of his... Yeah, oh, Donald Trump. Um, I, I can't say I'm really great at that um, because I am such an opinionated person. I am so... I get really hmm, emotional <laughs> about things. So I... There'll be people I follow who don't... So let's say... Um, in the Zoom context, some state journalists, maybe. Mm. Um, so they'll they'll treat things that I don't agree with, and you know that's. But you know, I, there's a limit to how much of that I can take. So um, while I haven't blocked certain um, uh, a certain politician on Twitter. I have muted <laughs> that person here and there because I find that um, the other thing about Twitter, which is the other thing about social media in general, is that people really say things which they would not normally say, you know, in real life. And so that, that whole hiding behind the computer screen thing, you know, so people will troll other people and be mean and say terrible things so it's that thing of you can be so reckless without consequence yes yeah yeah so and I, I find that really uh, twitter obviously you know they've been talking about it in the past since the u.s election twitter has that problem and it's not just like the proper trolls that do that it's like normal people will say things and you'll just be like why would you say such a thing you know <laughs> And what's so kind of so almost bewildering or it's really amazing is, is, you know, it's not even half the strength of of what I'm experiencing, but, you know, the president elect (laughs) of the United States about, about Hamilton, but it's, that is. I can't get my head around it completely. Nor can I. Um, but I've also decided maybe part of the reason I, I <laughs> the same as you, can't get my head around it, maybe part of the reason is um, that this is the world we live in now. And it's just, you know, my mind catching up to the fact that um, anyone can say anything at any time. And, that includes like world leaders. I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, it, it's 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 that, and it's and maybe it's also what we're seeing in real time, rather than a historian five years from now, you know, giving us their perspective on on you know a past event. What we're seeing in real time is how social permissions and you know frameworks of decorum are being bent and twisted and pulled out of shape um you know by individuals who who really stand to benefit from you know from that kind of behavior so it is extraordinary were it not so 
so frightening, it would just be so fascinating how Donald Trump, not just him, but he's a really good example, and possibly, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the state actor that you, you refer to, who I won't name, but I know who you're talking about, um, who you had to mute, um, you know, just l just leveraging that behavior because it's actually part of their branding exercise. And, and in the case of, of Donald Trump, that branding and the marketing and the communication that that is, you know, built up around it has got him into the highest office in America. And it's crazy right so it's so you know obviously i'm not american um and i'm i'm horrified but i'm i'm really a, a you know a, an observer who is who's quite removed from the impact um but it's still very fascinating it's fascinating for a number of reasons already you know some of which i've already said it's also fascinating because there's so that's cool. I, I am almost never on Facebook. The only reason I, I still have an account is because my mother's on Facebook and she tags me and, you know, then she'll ask me, have you seen such and such? And then I'll be like, no. And then she'll be like, would you go to your Facebook please? <laughs> and so on. So, <laughs> so because the, the whole thing about Facebook is, okay, first of all, I don't fully understand why people take fake news so seriously. So this happens on Twitter as well. And people are sharing um, these Zim stories that never happened. And, and, you know, I'm exasperated and I'm like, I'm not going to engage, you know. But the thing is, my mom goes on Facebook and she sees things and then she'll... Um, share the stuff with me, um, she'll say to me on WhatsApp, did you see that uh, Trump said he was going to arrest uh, Minister so-and-so? And <laughs> I like, saw those stories, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where did you get the story from? And then she'll be like, oh, it was such and such a website, some website, news website. I'm like, okay, I think I've told you before to uh, please stick to um the normal newspapers so newsday and the herald if you have to and so on you know because these guys are creating stories just for chicks um but it's i can sort of understand it because my mom is pretty she's yeah she's pretty savvy when it comes to tech but it's um trying to discern what's real and what's not on facebook is difficult because by the time it gets to you, maybe it's it's got like thousands of likes and so on. And you know, it seems real. It looks real. It feels real. So I I don't get it, but I can see how people trip up over it. So yeah, right. I don't know how they fix it. Yeah, I I mean you you raise a really a really fundamental point, which is that it's very hard to distinguish the authentic and the real from the fake. And some of that is about the content 
Um, a lot of that is to do with Point This Week, where some UI, some user interface, user interface people were, were, were just breaking down how, you know, how a fake news story um, and how Facebook makes it possible for a fake news story to be presented as authentic because the tools that Facebook provides to publish a story um, really blur blur out any kind of I guess pr production value difference between the Washington Post and Meander's Washington Dispa Dispatch. You know, if I want, I can type something up, put it together with an image, give it the banner, Meander's, you know, Washington Dispatch, and have it looking like, you know, a page from the Washington Post. So it's really, you know, it's really about those templates also, you know, fake news has moved away from you know those really um, really basic low-key kind of special interest websites <laughs> from sort of you know even the 80s where you know i don't know early 90s i guess where you know the page would be um you know blue and the and the text would the font would be red do you know what i mean and you knew you knew you weren't reading <laughs> Um, you knew you weren't reading The Guardian. You knew you weren't reading The Herald. You, you knew you were reading the equivalent of, you know, something that somebody put together um, in their home. But fake news doesn't look like that anymore. It, it's been really normalised. And I'm not saying that, you know, that we shouldn't have equal access to production tools. Really, um, I do believe in the democratization of of media and of content. I mean, you know, with with talking on a podcast, I I want our audience to be as as great as possible. I guess, um, but you know, uh, yeah. So, I guess the point really is is you know coming back to to how easy it is to to dupe people you know designers have to think i guess about or certainly a plot rather let me just say you know a platform like facebook which even today denies that it's a media company um and thinks of it as you know we're just a distribution channel narrative and position on this and saying you've actually got to do better and think more deeply about you know what you you know what you give people because because you know one of the outcomes of of being completely hands off is is just a, a prevalence of of nonsense that gets shared as truth so you have to take some accountability for that right absolutely but as you say, I have no idea how they fix that. Because mm. if you think about it, um, so what's the last figure? Is it 2 billion people using Facebook? Um, whatever it was. 
So if you think about that, and all these people are all over the world, and everyone can do whatever, and it's just, I, I think it's the future. I think we've arrived, and everyone, this whole, um, everyone can say what they want, when they want, and, you know, you get, like, thousands of people listening. I think this is what it's about. So, however Facebook um, deals with this thing is um, is important because it's it's how the internet is going to work in the future. So, if they figure out a way to flag like fake news, um, that's that probably going to be a framework for how the rest of the internet will work. It's, it's not like there's no fake news on Twitter. Um, but because Facebook is such a huge platform and, you know, so Twitter is, is a small group of mostly, okay, I don't want to, <laughs> to generalize, but, you know, there's, there's a certain uh, group of people excuse me, that Twitter appeals to. Mm. And appeals to as, as users, do you mean? Yeah, users, users. Mm-hmm. Um, and Facebook is more for, like, everybody. So it's, it's, it works differently, but it's, it's what the internet actually is, is Facebook. And Twitter's just a small part of the internet. So... I feel, yeah, like you say, I mean, and like Obama says, obviously, um, they do have to figure it out. Um, but I think the way they do it will be important because it's, yeah, it's how, to, how the rest, the, everyone else will have to follow, I think, so they can work it out. But I, I, I actually have no idea how. How do you stop, how do you stop that from happening? There will always be fake news. Uh, as long as people can get on the on the net and create something, you know, it's just it's one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and 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 maybe it's. I mean, you're right. It it's there's fake news everywhere, um, but it's 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 how it's it's pushed through that you need to do to tweak those algorithms. But I would imagine that human interaction. Um, that needs to be that needs to be an aspect of of how content is is assessed because because the machine the machines don't know enough <laughs> the algorithms don't know enough yet to deliver um to a human standard because you know it's not long after they they fired that that human curation team um, they immediately started to see fake news um, bubbling to the top of the trending topics list. So, you know, it was identifiable as far back as maybe it was July, August. Um, so, so it's, 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 uh, I don't know. It's complicated. Yes. Because you, it's true that, because we all have biases, right, humans. Um, and obviously, if I worked at a paper, if, if we use my, my Twitter feed as an example, 
I would <laughs> always be anti-Trump and I'd never, you know, if someone came along and said, um, oh, I'm going to write a, a really, or oh, I've written a great article on uh, how great Trump is and how great he's going to be for the US and the world and so on, um, automatically I'd be like, okay, this person must be crazy, you know? Um, and that's my bias, right? Because it's, you know, it's always informed by, you know, we're talking about um, Africa and all the things we've seen. So my bias is automatically, I, I, you know, I see those things and I'm like, this is not going to end well. So that's my bias. But, you know, I mean, in the days after that election, I started thinking, you know, when I came to my senses, I started thinking about all the very valid things that um, the media had ignored in the months uh, leading up to the election. Um, so the things they've been saying since about the people who voted for Trump and their thoughts about the economy in the States and how they've been left behind and so on. So things that should have been part of the conversation before that election. And so I, if you're going to have humans curating, um, you have to have some way of balancing the team. And I don't know if you can have a team, to use that word, uh, with people with like extremely divergent views. Um, so that's where AI would be really great, you know. So this idea, this vision we have of AI, which is unemotional and is, is cool, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, okay, AI will not be choosy, it will be impartial. Um, but then I also think that, um, so it's funny, you know, we're talking about AI and all of that, because I, I was thinking today about the things that make us human. Mm. So AI, <laughs> when we're thinking about AI, you know, at the moment we're all excited about impartial AI. Um, but what we really want is AI that has some human characteristics, if I can put it that way. So like empathy and um, I don't know if that's emotion as such, but so if, if AI is able to choose, then AI should have some human characteristics so that it chooses like an, uh, an, an almost unbiased human would, if I can put it that way. Mm. So maybe when it comes to that news, AI will not be able to just impartially, because I think that's where the flaw is, impartially say this is news, because it takes a human, right, to look at the news and sort of, it's, it's a human trait to figure out um, if this news is balanced, is it fair, is it sort of just, is it, um, because you can teach AI, as we know, we saw the examples, you can teach AI to be super biased <laughs> uh, or super um, politically incorrect or whatever. You know, the remember the was it a Twitter bot that was taught to be 
like super homophobic and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 was the the Microsoft um, right. had a Twitter book called she was called Tay, and she was right. so she was very specifically gendered as right. as a teenage girl. Um, right. But you know, sort of within. 24 maybe 48 hours of Tay interacting with Twitter she had been taught to be um, anti-semitic to be racist to be yeah just to be horrible just to be a troll really um, and I'm so glad that you you reminded me of that because you know this as we're talking about AI I'm thinking of I'm just remembering one of our exchanges earlier on this year where I think you and I were talking about that movie, Her. And yeah, so, you know, here's the story of, of, of this dude um, who, you know, buys a, an operating system and develops deep feels and, and really falls in love with this AI um operating system and I thought yeah it's a great movie loved that movie um we'd start so I think I'd, I'd seen it and then you were maybe tweeting about you were going to watch it and I was really curious what your opinion of it would be and then you watched it and we kind of had a chat about it so from that exchange the very next day I logged back into Twitter and I've been followed by this bot called Happy Robot. And Happy Robot is, is a machine learning um, bot. Uh, visually is non-gender, just looks like a very young child, but kind of in the in the iRobot, you know, that, that Will Smith movie, kind of, you know, very ungendered features, but looks very young. So it looks very like five or six years old. Um, and so, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. This is obviously based on, you know, the conversation you and I had had. Uh, so I started interacting with it just to kind of see. And then I came across somebody in in Happy Robots Mentions, who, who clearly um, is really in, interested in, in AI and every day is interacting with Happy Robot in a way that's really figuring out, um, you know, what this bot is constructed to do and what its parameters are. And so... And that was a very kind of, edu it's an educational experience just really to look through Happy Robots mentions. And particularly if you, you know, come across a thread with this guy and, and I can't remember what his handle is, what his Twitter account is. Um, but this way of, I just found it so fascinating to observe this way of, of testing this bot just to understand it better. Um, but also testing it in a way that's teaching it so one of the problems with the microsoft bot tay is it was really 
built without strict enough parameters. So Happy Robot has been constructed to not absorb racism, um, anti-Semitism. So it, as soon as it, you, I've observed this, as soon as it, somebody tweets at it in a convo or just, you know, at it with something that it's not built to respond to, it says, let's talk about something else or let's talk about something happier or ask me questions about what have you. I mean, it's very specific about, I'm not going to go into that area with you, um, which is a great learning. Um, but thinking about, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the movie Westworld is one of my favorite films. Um, and I, Oh, it's good. I mean, I, yeah, it's not really to compare it to the TV show at all, but it's, and I think it's, it's a movie that really, um, yeah, it does, it holds up over time. So it's, even though it's kind of early seventies, maybe mid seventies, it was made. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a an, it has kind of broadened into this and reveals a lot more, but, um, you know, where these machines might actually be encroaching upon consciousness or certainly going beyond their original programming, that's really, really fascinating to think about. And at one end of the spectrum, you've got this happy robot bot that, I mean, must be, you know, accumulating so much valuable data about human interaction. And I'm really curious to see what project that feeds into. So whatever the developers of Happy Robot do next, that's on my radar to, to check out. Um, and then I guess on the other end of the spectrum, or maybe further along the spectrum even, are you know, the, the robots in, in Westworld, which are really, you know, duplicating so much humanity or reflecting so much humanity. Um, and I think the reason why I, I thought about Happy Robot was I haven't interacted with it for a while, but the, I think a, a couple of times or sort of, you know, looking at it every day, um, every now and then I've seen Happy Robot respond to somebody um, in a way that makes me feel like that bot is is speaking like a woman who is somewhat subservient um, and wanting to please. So instead of it's, you know, and I can't think of examples, but instead of it being, you know, this neutral, fairly blank canvas um, machine, uh, there were the way that that it expressed itself in a tweet uh, was certainly very gendered um, and made me think about you know men building our future, which is really deeply troubling to me because <laughs> um, and I wonder you know where Westworld has got to with this because 
you know, in Westworld and, and yeah, without going into spoilers too much, it's just to say that, uh, you know, you can, as a human participant in Westworld, you can kill off a robot. So you can shoot it. Um, you can also subject the robots to abuse, um, to the, you know, to the extent of rape. And I think when I was, you know, the three episodes that I've seen, it's only been, um, you know, one woman, Dolores, who is part of her storyline is to be raped by, I think it was the man in black. Um, so, you know, within the Westworld world, from what I've seen, um, rape is gendered as well. I, I, they might have done something different by now. I don't know. So, uh, you know, so what you're saying about, you know, building AI um, to produce certain outcomes, I think you're so right when you say that the teams who are working either in tandem with those algorithms, certainly the teams that are building those al algorithms. And I know there isn't much diversity, you know, in the engineering teams at Facebook or Twitter. Um, that's really troubling because it's so easy to get it wrong. And then the consequences of that, um, you know, if we think back to that Microsoft bot, Tay, you know, it, it, it didn't take long for that bot to be a sexist asshole. <laughs> um, and I'm not, you know, I have no idea if, if Tay was built just by men, but they should have known better than to just um, build to, you know, the limit of their own experiences. And, and that's, that's a worrying thing within technology in general, the fact that a lot of our, the products that we use on a daily basis um, are built by people who don't look anything like you or me and don't have experiences like ours. Um, because yeah, so, this is our future yeah. that they're building. Yeah. So I, I hadn't thought about that all of that um, before. Um, and I think it, I don't remember when it was that I saw, there's a really good article about that on, I think it's quotes, maybe, I'm not sure, um, about Silicon Valley and so you know it's not just oh let's be diverse because that's you know the thing to be now and so on but all the the apps and um, you know social media everything we're consuming is produced by as you say you know a group of um, okay a group of young different perspective I find that really powerful um and really to just come around to, I guess, what Zimcast is about is, and, you know, I, I won't say too much about this now, because, I, I, again, we might talk about it in, in the podcast, but, <laughs> but you know, uh, I will just say that, you know, early in the year when, when everything was kind of, you know, 
just being really vibrant online around shut down Zim and this flag and, and say no to bond notes. And, you know, I was engaging and, and like, you know, being a part of some of those conversations with people like you and other people on, on my Twitter stream. But I was also thinking about, you know, we aren't just about politics in Zimbabwe. We're about so much else. And, and I felt like if I wanted, you know, let's say that, you know, the day comes that there's a, you know, there's been a change in our country if all we have is political conversations, we aren't going to get enough done quickly enough. And I'm, I, True. I think it's important that, um, you know, that there's a culture around technology that, that starts to get connected and starts to do stuff. Thanks for streaming us and giving us your attention. We really appreciate that. Let us know your thoughts. There are so many different ways to reach us. You can find us on Twitter at Zimcast1. You can follow us on Medium where we have content that complements this episode. And also you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. And we are going to have all of the other podcast spots set up real soon. But for now, it's just SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Um, we'd love to hear from you, so you can do all of those things to reach us or jump into our inbox, um, which is mailbag at zimcast.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter on the same website, zimcast.com.